Hey, Claire. Hi. Let me get my nerves pods. Where are you? Did you guys move? We did. This is our house that we bought. Is this still on the East Coast? So we are in Waimea, a.k.a. Kamuela, on Hawaii Island slash the Big Island. So we're still in the same like zone, but in a different house. So that's more center of the island, right? Yeah, so we're like midway between like Hilo and Kona, like north-ish. Got it, got yeah. it. Let me see. Yeah, it's a little crazy because, you know, I have two kids here. Yeah. But here's our lovely living room with our fireplace. Nice. And our kitchen. And I'll take you outside. So we have um, our ohia trees and our avocado tree. Nice. And we have um, this mulberry tree, which is amazing because it fruits year round. Mm. And we have lavender and I mean, this is, sorry, rosemary and bees. And um, this is the rest of our backyard with our, see, we have some sweet potato, papaya. This wow. is our first fig. Can you see it? That's our wow. first <laughs> We have our tomatoes. Oh, I see one. Yeah, we got some ripe ones finally. Um, I mean, it's February, so it's kind of a miracle that there's any ripe ones. We have our outdoor bathtub. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Our miracle berry shrub. Um, these are some lily koi vine starters that we're getting going. Oh, that'll and be beautiful. I'm gonna put it on the fence. Yeah, we have a, a lime, a peach, a pomegranate, a compost bin, low Your backyard's turning into Ginger John's farm. You have everything. <laughs> Pineapples. We have some hollow. There's some cannabis back there. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> So you'll never have to go to the supermarket again, basically. Right, eventually, and like yeah. You know. Oh, here's our cactus, our Wachuma cactus. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so that's that's our backyard. Nice. I bet the boys love it, huh? <laughs> yeah, they do. I think it's like that's one thing that we carried with us from our time in Ojai was how important it is for the kids to actually like understand where like food comes from, <laughs> like how long it takes to get like one fig or one papaya. Yeah. And it's like a different sense of time and cycles rather than just like, it just appears in the fridge. <laughs> right, right, more appreciation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your kids must be kind of like superheroes by now, no? With all this information and knowledge are they that they're getting. <laughs> or are they super villains? I don't know. I think it's a little bit, you know, depends on the day. <laughs> Do you find that they're more in tune than other children? I know that's terrible to say, but, you know, you can you make know, an observation. I feel like... I feel like kids in general are more in tune 
these days than I remember being as a child personally. And I think that the relationship that Jason and I have with them is very different than the relationship that our parents had with us in that, I don't know, it's more of like an equal relationship. Like they're definitely forces in our family and our household for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting. They're also really different human beings. Like, you know, we're starting, I mean, not starting, like we see how differently they process stuff, you know, like Jotan is very like, kind of like engineering and like material manipulation oriented. Like he wants, like he's told me that he wants to like build technology when he grows up, like that's his thing. And Mana is like, Mana will, you know, give you the real time play by play of like his emotional body <laughs> and tell you like, I'm upset right now. I'm crying. I don't want to talk to you. Don't look at me. <laughs> Okay, I'm feeling better. <laughs> I'm happy. And that'll be in the span of like two and a half minutes. Um, so there's just different intelligences, but it's kind of fascinating wow. to me. Yeah. <laughs> how they show up. Yeah. yeah. Did you teach them how to express themselves or you just made space for them to express themselves? Is that how it arises? Yeah, I think that it's it's creating space for it and like allowing them to go through their process and feel because I like as a parent, I feel the instinct or the urge to try to control their process and be like, oh my gosh, like your feelings are wreaking havoc in our household right now and you need to cut it out. But as an adult doing my own processing, I realized that like that rarely, if ever, works. <laughs> And so like giving them the space to express themselves and do their thing, but also like holding them accountable, I think is really important and kind of like reflecting back to them, their choices. Like you can feel sad right now and it's totally fine to feel sad and know that it's a choice. Like, do you want to feel sad? Do you want to feel happy? Like maybe you need to feel sad, like go ahead and feel sad, but don't take it out on anybody else. How do you do that to children? Do you just walk them through options? Do you just talk to them? Yeah. I mean, what yeah. I said, I say to my kids on a regular basis. Oh, got it. <laughs> and they're yeah. how old? Uh, three and seven and a half. So you talk to a three-year-old like that or not yet? I do. Yeah. You do? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and they get it. Yeah, they totally get it. And so he, and like, you can see his little wheels turning of like, oh, uh -huh. okay. Like, I'm going to be sad for three more minutes. Uh -huh. There it is. <laughs> and then how is that different from how you guys were brought up? Um, there wasn't a lot of naming of emotions in my childhood. So I feel like, like, I don't think, it was ever my mom's intention, for example, to stifle my feelings or to not create space for them, but because she wasn't given the language for it or the tools to hold space for it in a conscious way, like I didn't grow up with that. So I grew up with a lot of feelings that would kind of 
erupt <laughs> at inopportune times because I didn't have like a regular release and like process for them. Yeah, and I think that Jason was similar too. Are you first generation? No, I am. Let's see. My grandparents were all born in the United States. So that makes me third generation. Ah, okay. Yeah. So they were raised as Americans. Yeah. Ah. They were Hawaii. Oh, they were. Got it. So your family's in Hawaii? All of them still? Um, that's where the majority of my family and my roots are. But at this point, I have relatives that have kind of spread out across the U.S. Ah. Yeah. How did you learn these different ways of being if you weren't raised in a household like that? Um, through getting myself in a lot of trouble as an adult and then having to dig myself out of it. <laughs> uh, I think that I, I kind of got to a point where I was dealing with like heavy emotions um, into, you know, the range of depression and anxiety and panic and figured out that I really needed tools to address my my well-being on all levels on all levels so like what we were just talking about is kind of a conscious and like verbal way to work through feelings but i think that for me a lot of it happens on like the physical level and on like the non-verbal levels as well is that when you first started with yoga and medicine is that your entry point yeah, I think it was like yoga was my entry point. Um, and then getting into, you know, general like mindfulness, meditation, breath work, the medicine work. And then I kind of had like a full circle back around to dance, which like I did, I danced as a child, like, but you know, like ballet, musical theater, like formal dance. But I think reaccessing. Um, movement and dance even outside of yoga as like a modality of like unwinding myself and kind of like self-discovery exploration integration has also been really powerful. What are the specific tools or types of yogas or types of techniques or types of practices that you did that really helped you? Yeah so um, I fell into Ashtanga at the beginning of my yoga practice. And that was amazing because it created such, um, like it's a practice that you carry with you um, once you learn it. And so that was really amazing. I think that now, and then I also studied with Annie Carpenter when she was in LA. And I think the combination of having the Ashtanga background and then kind of the smart flow um, training has really informed my approach to yoga practice in that um, it's really been a fine tuning and a listening process of what my body actually needs in the moment. Because I think at the beginning of my Ashtanga practice, like it's easy to just get into the momentum of Ashtanga and do more and more and more and more. And then I had two kids and my body totally changed and my pelvis and sacrum 
went into a different place with each child I had. And so having to slow down and recalibrate my practice has been really empowering for me. Um, so now I do kind of a modified Ashtanga practice. And then on the dance front, I want like one thing that like changed my life when I first experienced it was a practice called authentic movement, which is where you don't use any music. You sit or stand in silence and stillness until there's an urge to move in the body. And then you just follow that thread of movement that arises naturally from within. And that kind of undid a lot of the formal training that I had and like the formal, like the conventional pathways of movement that I had patterned into my body to discover like, oh, like what is it if I'm dancing in a way that's not based on the external and what it looks like, but on the internal and what it feels like. So now I still, I like music, so, but I'll just turn music on and dance. I know that sounds like kind of silly and crazy, but it's amazing. <laughs> that's been one of the blessings of COVID for me, I think is, um, giving my per myself permission to dance in my bedroom by myself. <laughs> Can you go into more the descriptive quality of what Ashtanga is and what smart flow is for people who are listening and don't sure, know? Sure, yeah. So Ashtanga is a form of yoga that um, was created by Patabi Joyce. You know, Ashtanga, <laughs> my understanding of it is that it was initially created for like young boys, like adolescent, like young, able-bodied boys and men. And as a result, it's like a very physical practice, uh, more so than probably any other form of yoga that I've ever tried. <laughs> and it's a set series of poses. So you work with your teacher and there's other people in the room, but your teacher goes pose by pose, giving you a pose. Here, I'll take this off so it doesn't really get the shirt. Um, Skin. Skin. I know it's cold here though. I'm not, I'm, it's like 65 degrees in Hawaii. That's cold. It is. <laughs> There's snow on the mountain outside my house. Um, and, and so you, you kind of build your own practice. It's a set series of poses, but you're building on your own practice. And you know, there's like different series. So there's primary series that's all about kind of aligning the physical body. And then there's intermediate or second series that's all about aligning and purifying the nervous system. And then there's four advanced series after that. And then smart flow is something that Annie Carpenter created. So her background um, is that she was also a dancer. She danced with Martha Graham and then studied with Patabi Joyce in the Ashtanga system as well as Iyengar. And for me, the foundation of smart flow is this idea of effort and return. So there's always a balance in the practice and in the pose in that, you know, say you're going into a backbend at the same time you're thinking about engaging your core that's pulling you out of the backbend. I know that sounds like kind of weird and technical, but it's this idea that like, if you pull too far in one direction without a balance, then you kind of pull yourself too far and off center. 
And so it's kind of this integration of opposites and creating balance in the body that um, really appeals to me in smart flow. And I think the other, the other big teaching I got from Annie was that the like each pose looks different on every body and so it's a spectrum or a continuum of movement rather than a static idea of this is what trikonasana is or looks like or should be and so understanding that each pose each practice is going to look different on every body it's going to different look different on a single body on different days um, and so how to teach and practice to that flux and that change and variability and how have these things reflected your everyday life where do you see the practice and teachings and integration oh my gosh it's like how i live everything, my life. <laughs> everything. <laughs> totally it's like how do i have discipline but also give myself permission to be in flow and to instead of try to control or judge the variability of the change to be curious and study it and learn from it and dive into it and see what's created out of it. Do you feel like right now at where you are, you are there from moment to moment or do you find yourself going back into old habits and then needing to circle back again? <laughs> or, or do you find that as you get older, these things become more integrated into who you are? Well, I think it's always, it spirals, right? So. Of course, I'm always falling in and out of it, but it's in different ways and different levels and different aspects of being. Right now, I feel like I'm on a high kick, so I feel great. But I also just came out of five years of sleepwalking, so. <laughs> and never sleeping. <laughs> yeah, never sleeping and then sleepwalking, the irony of it, yeah. But I think, but I kind of, I'm enjoying getting older. I mean, I'm not like that old, but I'm older than I was five years ago or 10 years ago. I kind of love that process. It's really interesting to see and to look back. Like another thing that just re-entered my field was working with plant medicine because I had taken, yeah, a good like five year break from it. And journeyed recently in the last couple weeks with Jason, my partner. And it was like a really great taking stock of like, oh, okay, like we've actually, it feels like we've been sleepwalking, but we've been working hard and building something. And a lot of times when you plant a seed, you don't know what's going to sprout until it does. And you don't know how long it's going to take. And it's just going to look like dirt for a while. And then all of a sudden something's there. And so I feel like a lot, it's like that a lot with spiritual practice or with yoga practice or just practice and living in that it can look like shit for a really long time, but that doesn't mean that something isn't bubbling under the surface or that something isn't actually at work. That's just not in the conscious mind or the conscious field. How did you find medicine or how did it find you? Let's see. And what we mean by medicine is plant medicine. Yeah, I was living in LA. I feel like you're intertwined in this story, Chloe. We are. That's how we are. are. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, where did it come from? Um, yeah, I think I was kind of in, in that whole community in LA of at the intersection of, 
you know, yoga and consciousness and plant medicine. And that was my introduction to it. Um, How old were you at the time? 28. 28, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was pregnant with my first son, Jotan, when I was introduced to plant medicine. Oh, are you talking okay. about Aya? Yeah. Is that the medicine you're talking about? Okay, because then when I think about plant medicine, I'm like, oh, wait a second. I had a relationship with other plant medicines long before that. Oh, what, <laughs> Or marijuana or? Um, with cannabis and psilocybin. Um, Mushrooms, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, that was our most recent journey was with psilocybin. Um, but with ayahuasca, the first time I was introduced to her, I was 28 in LA. And I was actually pregnant with Jotan, my first son, um, the first time I sat. And I, I had decided that I only wanted to drink um, pure vine. And I think so like the cup I got was like all pure vine and like maybe like just a drop of the medicine with the, the chikrunita in it. And um, I went flying. I had like a full experience. Hold on one sec. I think my cat is trying to get in my house. Oh, I'm sorry, beady cat. Come on, Bee. This is our cat. at the window? Yeah. Hi, boo. Oh, she's big. This is Hi. baby cat. Hi, meow meow. Yeah. So his name is Albidi Pidi Baba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of name is that? <laughs> it's, That's a yogi kind, name. <laughs> it's the kind of name that a six-year-old child gives a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Was it someone else named Pillowcase? I don't know. I don't have a cat named Pillowcase. The last time. <laughs> kind of awesome. The last time I came over when you were at your other house, someone was Pillowcase. Pillowcase. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Maybe it was a stuffed animal? Maybe. <laughs> I've never had a pet named Pillowcase, though. <laughs> okay, now, maybe. I'm kind of wondering, like, what kind of animal would I get if its name was going to be Pillowcase? <laughs> maybe it was a different mom friend then. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, so continue. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, like I, I thought I was just sitting in circle and being in the energy of the medicine. And then um, I had a full on experience. And it was interesting because the medicine questioned why I was there and was like, you've been here so many times. Why are you back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I had to sit like 
a bunch more times to like really rock that and integrate it because I and I think it's like this question of like like when you're searching and when you're seeking and when you're you're desiring like a deeper understanding or a broader understanding and awareness um sometimes for me at least like that seeking can actually be narrowing and like turning to an intense yoga practice or turning to medicine work or all these kind of like external stimuli um in that path of seeking can kind of just spin me in circles and feel detrimental that like the deepest work I've done is just in like surrendering and being like, I'm just going to be a normal human and experience being human. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and being grounded and being in my body and like doing the thing. And like, there's like crazy wisdom and experience there. Like it's wild being human, just living life. Yeah, that's what always attracted me to you, especially meeting in LA like that, because a lot of people, when I looked out, they felt lost to me and very ungrounded. So I was turned off by it. But you have always been on the ground of the earth, normal human. And I, I took almost a 10 year break because mm -hmm. I just wanted to exist in society without anybody knowing <laughs> who I was. I'm just Chloe. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <I'm... laughs> yeah. But that's so important. That's key. That's the whole point. Totally. And like, I mean, I have so many dear friends and sisters and brothers in, you know, the conscious quote unquote or spiritual community. And I don't know. It's kind of a wild ride out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think I got to a point where it was like, like I was starting to question my own groundedness and sanity because there was so much weird shit flying around and people saying things that were like so out there that like I didn't know if they were coming or going. And then as a result, I didn't know if I was coming or going. I've been living a pretty low key grounded normal life for a while now. And I think like inviting a little bit of that energy back in is is it's finding the balance of it because I, I noticed yeah. that like when I was always in it or when I was always around people who were in it, then it just felt like this unraveling. And then it's like, well, the, the root reason that I got involved in all of this was to increase my awareness, increase my consciousness, be more present, be of more service and to like show up in life. But then as a result, it was like, I don't know what I'm showing up to, if anything, if, I'm not actually like engaging in like grounded, meaningful ways and like creating real things. And I think that's one thing um, about having kids is like, there's no escape from that with them. They're nonstop. They're always there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what attracted you to these modalities of wanting to expand your awareness and consciousness? Was it books that opened you up to the idea? Have you always been curious? I think I've always been curious and I've always had experiences that I haven't had language to wrap around. And so 
it's been kind of pulling the thread of like trying to understand what that is or like where how like how to create like a framework or a context around like the energy that we feel like in our day-to-day like in our in our physical and our emotional like I was always really connected to yeah to energy like moving in me and being able to like dial it up or down or to work with it and again because I didn't come from a background that offered a context for that or a name for that or an explanation for it it was always just kind of like my weird inner world and so like as I was exposed to this whole community and you know books and teachers and practices and all of these things I think it was in an attempt to like better understand myself and then (laughs) and then what I realized is that like it's all inside like it's always an inside job Mm. like there's always like the books and the practices and the people in the community um I think are can be great signposts and kind of support to realize that like it's totally normal um to have experiences and to live outside of the context of like very conventional kind of materialistic frameworks but that there really aren't answers in any of those things that like real answers have to come from yourself from within which I was really frustrated with because I was like, man, like, isn't there a book or a yoga retreat or a ceremony that can just like, poof, like (laughs) fix it or tell me X or Y. (laughs) Yeah. I think everyone on the path goes through that and then comes to the realization of, oh, it's me. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. It's me. Like, well, what do you want to do? Do it. Uh huh. <laughs> what are some books or teachers that you read in your past that really made an effect on you? Because for me, it was always Ram Das. Uh-huh. He really spoke my language and gave me the words yeah. to define the experiences, as well as Krishnamurti. Totally, I resonate deeply with Ram Das for sure. Um, I think, you know, I go back to like the Bhagavad Gita. Because that's basically the point of it is like, you're on the battlefield. What are you going to do? Like, you can't get caught up in kind of like the mental masturbation of existence. It's just meant to be lived. Um, That was always what I got from the Gita. Um, So I think that was really influential for me. I I actually, a friend just just shared a talk with me that, Rocked My World by Bio Akomalafe. Um, and he shares this idea of the times are urgent, you need to slow down. And it's kind of this like idea of recalibrating our systems and recalibrating our senses and our worldview from like being linear and driven and basically you know colonialized and on the path of I shouldn't say that this is what he's saying I should say that this is what I got from it because who knows if this was his intention or not (laughs) 
but my takeaway from it was was like this reorientation process of slowing down that happens when we slow down and when we kind of start questioning like all of the the assumptions and the givens in our life um, and like where those things actually come from and what those things actually serve and the systems that they kind of uphold and and that it can feel like all of that is so real and at the same time like life is constantly shifting and moving and changing and can be created and recreated at any given time just by what we choose to look at or how we choose to look at it or where we put our energy so yeah i really vibed with that one i also resonated with um with Pema Chodron and some of the teachers in the, the Tibetan Buddhist lineage, also like some of Chogyam Trungpa's work. And I think what's really interesting about, about Chogyam Trungpa is that there's, you know, there's like a bunch of scandal that surrounds him, like a lot of people in places of power and spiritual communities. But I think that like, it's really important for us to look at teachings versus teachers and like the pedestals that we put people on and realizing that actually maybe some of these teachers said that they are more than human but a lot of them didn't and it's people who decided to be disciples or followers that made them something that maybe they never were or um, wanted to be yeah totally yeah, what about you, Chloe? What, like you were saying, Ram Das and Krishnamurti. Yeah, big time. And even books that aren't necessarily uh, kind of nonfiction in that way. Letters to a Young Poet really hit me hard when I was younger. That was the first yeah. book I read that made me see that there were more people like me that thought yeah. like I did. And that we're yeah. looking for something bigger than what day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. had offered. Yeah. That was kind of the match that struck the whole thing. Uh-huh. For me, when I was really younger, I think E.E. E. Cummings did that for me. Mm. When I was younger, like as a teenager, like I really resonated deeply with his poetry. And I mean kind of a radical perspective from the time that he came from. I didn't know E.E. E. Cummings was a man. I thought it was a woman. Yeah, he was, he was a gay man. Ah. That was a modern poet. Oh. Back when it wasn't even a thing to be a gay man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, what the seed that made me look for something different was my trauma. Mm -hmm. of, of my entry coming into the world. I was in so much pain. I was suffering. I had tried to commit suicide three times. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was searching, but nothing worked until I did yoga and until I started meditating, until I started drinking ayahuasca. That's, mm -hmm. when, that's when the huge shift happened. I turned into a completely different person because these things actually worked. Yeah. Why do you think that those were the things that worked for you? Like, had you tried other stuff in the past that didn't work? 
Western therapy was the only other thing that I tried that didn't really work. It, it didn't have, uh, it was, it was too heady, you know, it, it didn't give me relief physically, emotionally. It didn't give me, um, the sense that I was overcoming something. I think why these other modalities work like yoga and meditation is because the, the Eastern science behind it, the neurological benefits and, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, just speaking within the Ashtanga system, why that worked for me is like you said, how the first series is all about aligning the body and purifying the physical body. I, I felt it. I felt my bones being aligned and in its socket mm -hmm. and in its right spot. So now my nervous system is flowing the way that it's supposed to. It's talking to my brain the way that it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no vritti or naughty blocking its force. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we hold in the body and I think, I, yeah, I totally hear you with like the headiness of the Western psychological psychiatric approach because I think a lot of trauma, like it's not accessible through the critical thinking mind um, because we've protected ourselves from it and from that part of the mind from accessing a lot of it just in self-preservation. And so I think like the breath and the body really is an amazing kind of backdoor into touching all of those parts of ourselves and like really finding integration without having to like think your way or talk your way through all of it. Yeah. And I think uh, a more holistic approach is more well-rounded, more efficient because, okay, maybe I do do Western therapy. That'll target one area of what mm -hmm. I need awareness on. And if I do yoga, that'll target a different area of the pie chart. And mm -hmm. if I do meditation, that'll do this. I think this, um, way should be promoted and mm -hmm. encouraged not just one way try a bunch of different things and see what works because we're complex as humans we need totally. a lot of different things <laughs> yeah and it's not always the same thing for the same person or the same yes. thing for one person at different times in their life or their journey yes. um and yeah having that fluidity and getting to a place of having enough awareness to know like what's the appropriate medicine in the moment for yourself and i mean medicine very broadly like whether it's going for a walk or doing a yoga practice or sitting in ceremony or eating chocolate cake or whatever is so valuable i think it's like one of those skills that like should totally be taught but isn't <laughs> yeah that's why I think it's so cool of how you're parenting your kids and just how my other friends are parenting their kids too, of this spaciousness of let's see who you are and how can I support you, enhance who you are to be the best of mm -hmm. what you're made up with, being really treated as individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's so do you do you, your other friends i'm just curious are they like sending their kids to school or are they homeschooling both both yeah right now both of my kids go to school um and in some ways it's it's kind of amazing that schools have been open since the beginning of the school year on big island um but it's something that i've questioned a lot around like does 
kind of normal school actually serve children? Like, is it really the best mm. thing for my kids? And I think for my older one, Jotan, he's like, he's consciously made the choice to go to school. Like he wants to go to school. And so he does. Um, yeah, but I, I see that it's not for every child. And I think that for him, he's strong-willed enough <laughs> that he's kind of taking from it what he wants and yeah, kind of slacking through the rest. <laughs> that's not for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's another thing too. Because for me, when I was a kid, I went to a Montessori school for a year and that mm -hmm. really helped me develop. Yeah, my little, both of my kids went to Montessori preschool. So Mana, my three-year-old, is at Montessori right now. Yeah. Yeah, there are different systems for everyone. Mm-hmm. How old are you when you were in Montessori? Do you remember like, yeah. what it was like? Yeah, pre-K to, I think it was first or second. So really uh -huh. young. Did you, what do you remember about it? Making crafts. <laughs> all day making macaroni crap. art <laughs> it was the 80s right or early yeah 90s, no yeah. no 80s yeah and I, I remember specifically this one where I made a handprint with construction paper and turned it into a turkey for Thanksgiving and just awesome. having the the space and freedom to do whatever I wanted with colors and shapes. Yeah, totally. I think I love that about Montessori that like it is child-led and mm -hmm. that it's like, well, here's a whole array of stuff you can do. Like, go do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. There was definitely a transition when Jotan left Montessori and went to a regular school and like was like, what? Like, we all do math at the same time. Why? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is Hawaii kind of protected right now from coronavirus? Because no one's really going in and out? Yeah, I mean, there's no travel ban in place, but there's, like, testing rules. Like, if you come to Hawaii, like, you have to get tested. And so I think it's definitely not there's not as many people coming in from other places as there would be normally. What, so tourism is like slow right now here. I think on the big island, we also are more of like a rural island. So there's less people and more space. And so our Corona numbers have been relatively low like the whole time. Like I haven't ever felt like freaked out about COVID on the big island where it's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if my kids should be going to school or we should be going out or whatever. What's been interesting is there are a lot of people moving to the big island because of COVID. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, there's been like a huge influx of people moving here. It seems a lot from California. But I mean, realistically, oh, like, they found out about the magic. <laughs> You know, I think that's, it's, it's the double-edged sword of living in magical, beautiful places. Like I watched it happen in Ojai uh -huh. and it's happening a little bit here. And I don't know, like you can't fault people for wanting yeah. to live someplace beautiful and magical and safe and 
clean and you know but i guess my hope and prayer is that people respect the places that they move to and they honor right. the people that have already been there right and don't turn it into california yeah like we don't need strip malls and traffic and <laughs> yeah stuff yeah yeah but i feel like the big island has a pretty strong personality like the land has its own energy and the the people and the the community here is pretty strong so oh yeah and i've noticed that you know people may move here but we'll see how many of them actually stay cuz this place is also like it chews people up and spits them out if they're not meant for it i've yeah, noticed yeah that's so true <laughs> yeah that's how bali was too yeah that is my plan though is to go to the big island <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying all of that <laughs> You have an established relationship though, so it's different. It's not like you just like looked on a map and was like, "Okay, where are the COVID numbers low?" <laughs> there, go. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've been making footsteps towards the Big Island for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I started the process with my dog with Cody so he can go oh. over there cuz it's awesome. a four it's a four month thing. Yeah. To get a dog over to the Big Island. Yeah, it's serious. Because there's no rabies in Hawaii, so they're, like, very protective. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I respect it. No rabies, no snakes. No snakes either? Mm-mm. Ah. We have one endemic snake called the, the blind, I think it's, like, a blind tree snake, but it's, like, a tiny, tiny snake. It's, like, a worm-sized snake. Oh. But that's it. And is we it really have, blind? I think it is blind, yeah. Oh. But there's no snakes that'll like jump out of the grass and bite you type snakes. Is it true that there are no predators in Hawaii? I, I guess the nuisance would be hogs, right? Or boars? Yeah, there's no endemic predators. So even the pigs, there's a lot of pigs here. Um, were brought in by the Polynesians. They were brought in by humans. Right. And was that to get rid of another creature? Frogs or something like that? I think they brought in the pigs to eat them. Oh, yeah? So they were like a canoe animal. Like they came with the first Polynesians. Like they brought pigs and chickens. And, and I think they were mainly like food animals. Mm. Yeah. How's Jason? Yeah, just being like super grounded and like finding like the spiritual and the magical in the everyday and like he's an amazing dad like super engaged with the boys the other thing that jason and i do with our kids that our parents never did is like we own our shit with them so like yesterday after school like from about four to seven was kind of gnarly in our household because Jotan was in a bad mood and then mana called him out on it and was like why is Jotan da 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 and then jason was just like damn it like like, it just feels like you're ungrateful and blah, 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 and then had to, like, own his outburst. And Mana was like, Daddy's scaring me right now. And so it's like, like, there's this constant feedback and dialogue that we're in where, like, kids are calling us on our shit. And we're just like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm angry right now. I'm triggered. Sorry. 
I still love you, but I'm pissed. Like, <laughs> I asked you five times to put your shoes on and you didn't do it. Like, I'm mad. <laughs> Whatever. So, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Jason like you're scaring me right now and I'm like well mama do you want daddy to do you want to understand like why daddy's acting this way or feeling this way and Mama's like yeah and then I look at Jason like well explain to him and he's like I think it'd be better if you explained to him <laughs> I'm not in the place to explain it right now <laughs> yeah it's definitely so you come in and then so then I have to come in and like narrate like the energy that's <laughs> flying in our house like well <laughs> Jotan was pissed because he didn't like what we were planning for dinner and then he triggered your dad <laughs> and then, like, yeah oh my god that's hilarious yeah that's like our everyday but anyway Jason's doing good when's the last time we saw each other I feel like I it's been know. at least five years it's been a long time like it was before Mana was born. You didn't have Mana yet. I didn't? No. No. Well, then it's been at least three years, maybe five. Was it in Hawaii the last yeah. time we saw each other? Yeah, it was when you lived at your old house. Was it the... Which house was it? The one in Waimea with... Uh, you was walk it in... And the door is on the right side. Okay. Was there a stream? No. no. It wasn't that one. Okay, so that must have been like 2017. Yeah, it must have been like mm. 2017 or so. That was the house we lived in before this one. Because there were a couple other places we lived in Waimea before there. Like we bounced mm. around a few different spots until we landed here. Why do you guys choose Waimea out of all the other areas on the island? There's a few different reasons. I think part of it is that, well, I just love it here. Like, like energetically, it feels like it's the, the clearest place on the island that I've been to in terms of like, I don't know, like there's a lot churning on the east side of the island. Especially um, Puna. Puna feels wild to me. I didn't like being down there. No. Yeah. And I think, and I think like, like the, the, cause it's really unstable. Like there's yeah. a lot of like lost souls down there. And then the land is unstable. Like it's literally unstable. Right, like it could like explode in lava any day, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like your yard could open up and turn into lava there because it happened like just a couple years ago and could happen again very easily. Um, and I think that like Hilo just being in close proximity and being like kind of the largest urban mm. center, like close to Pune, like draws in all of that energy. Mm -hmm. And so like yeah it doesn't feel good to me over there and so Waimea is like a little more removed from that I also really like that you know obviously weather depending like you can see Mauna Loa, Mauna Kea, Hualalai, Kohala from Waimea 
So it feels like it's a really central point on the island. Um, it's also Lava Flow Zone 7, which is really good. Like if you're in one or two, you can't even get like insurance because you're probably going to get swallowed by lava. Right. Um, so like Lava Flow Zone 7 is like relatively safe. <laughs> and I think it's, I just like love it. It's beautiful up here. It actually reminds me a lot of Ojai but it's like eternally spring, Ojai. Uh, <laughs> I can see like, that. You know, it's like 65, 70 degrees and sunny and there's, you know, streams and creeks and fields and... Rolling hills. Rolling hills and it's, yeah. So it feels really good to me. And then Kona side is just like too hot and like it feels a little bit like Southern California. And that it's yeah. like 90 degrees and there's strip malls. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. It does have that vibe for sure. It's like Santa Monica or Venice Beach. Yeah. So like Waimea for me was just like the sweet spot. Mm. Plus Jason works like three minutes, five minutes down the road from where we live. Mm. So it's like it works out logistically too. Mm. And then the last piece is that the school, like there's schools here, like there's a Montessori here. And like, you know, we've been like teetering on this whole school situation. So like Parker and HPA are like the two like private schools on the island. Um, they're also in Waimea. So like that was an option for the kids if we wanted it. Do you like the people there? Do you have good friends on the island? Yeah, I think that um, the other thing I love about Waimea is that there's a sense of community. Like it's a small town. To the, when when we first moved here, somebody told me that everybody knows everybody's business in Waimea, and everybody will know who you are. They may no. not come back to you <laughs> and be like, like they're not going to come up to you at the supermarket and be like, oh yeah, I know that your husband is so-and-so and you work here and you live over there in this neighborhood, but they know. And it's a hundred percent true because now when I'm about town doing my business, like I recognize people and I'm like, oh, you work there. Or like, I know that you <laughs> buy your cannabis from my dispensary over there, or your kid goes to this school. And I know that people do it to me too. Uh -huh. There's a certain like safety net and accountability in that because oh. it means that people aren't going to be fucking assholes. Yeah. Like, people know who you are and how you show up matters. And yeah. And I think it keeps the community high vibe. Uh huh. Um, having that intimacy with people. That's a really so good point. Like, we have our close friends that like we actually hang out with and our friends, but I also like kind of know, like knowing and being known in my community. Like we live in a neighborhood where Jotan is seven and he can ride his bike around the neighborhood with his friends, like unaccompanied because I'm like, I'm sure that if he knocked on any of our neighbor's doors and needed help, like they would help him. Mm -hmm. Do you have a phone? No. What are your thoughts around that? No, absolutely not. We, we, we like really limit screen time in our household. Like we don't even own a TV. Jotan and Mana have to earn their screen time. Good so for like, you. Love it. We, 
Yeah, like he has to like, we have a point system. So like you get five points for emptying the dishwasher or like five points oh. for doing this or that. And like you have to earn a certain number of points for every hour of screen time you get in our house. So really what it comes out to is maybe like two to three hours a week of screen time for them. That's and great. so like we don't, like he doesn't have a phone. I have friends that live in bigger cities where kids his age do have phones and that's kind of normal, but it's not normal here. Like he doesn't have any pressure from like his peers at school. Like it's not like all the second graders have cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so important as their foundational age of how their mind forms mm -hmm. and giving them space to think on their own without this device telling yeah. them what to do or how to think or just engaging the brain in that way so they can zone out. Yeah, because I think that there's like so much happening in the real world, like mm -hmm. not just for kids, but like for adults too, that like it's so easy to feel like I'm going to zone out on my phone and it's restful, but it's actually not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's killing brain cells as we do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had to discipline myself on mm -hmm. staying away from my phone and giving myself a point system. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I'll stay sane. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it was rough at the beginning of COVID because they were both at home. Mm -hmm. um, but like the work I was doing was all on my computer. Yeah. And so to them, they were like, well, you're on the screen all day. And I'm oh. like, but it's different, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but you're bringing money in and they're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm getting paid to be on the computer. I'm paying your school money for you to be on an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this equation is working for me. Yeah. Can you talk about, as a woman, some struggles that you went through as a younger woman and how you've come into your own? <laughs> I love that I used to be a younger woman. What does that mean now? <laughs> An older young woman. Um, what I mean by that is... Uh, you know, not as wise, not as much life experience. Oh, yeah. The stupid things. So can you repeat the question one more time? <laughs> Talk about what as a young woman. Some struggles or hardships that you went through that taught you and made you come into your own. So when I was 22, I moved to LA and... I opened two cannabis dispensaries, one in the Valley and one in Venice. As a 22-year-old? I was 22. Damn. My business partners were also 22. So we had all just graduated from university and we're like, we're going to sell weed basically. And I, and I shouldn't just simplify it as that. I think it was also like an understanding of like, 
I didn't have the language to wrap around it at the time, but it was a form of resistance and it was like a social impact thing because at that point, California was like gray area, like medical cannabis had been recognized, um, but it was still federally illegal and it still is. And even at 22, I had, I understood that like, this is a broken system. The war on drugs is a failure um, at best and and a form of oppression, really. Um, And that, you know, as relatively privileged 22 year olds, um, that this was something that I could do to buck that system. Um, And like, make a statement about it and provide medicine to people who needed it. Um, But it was, but I was 22 and had no idea what I was doing. And um, long story short, my dispensary got raided by the LAPD. Have I ever told you this story? No. Oh yeah. So my dispensary got raided by the LAPD because at that time, I mean, this is like my conjecture around what happened, but it was totally the wild west. Um, We started hosting meetings of like a bunch of dispensary owners around LA to like create like self-regulation because the government was, you know, like out to lunch on the cannabis issue. And as kind of like a focal point in this community, like we, we sort of like put a target on ourselves. Mm. And so the LA, LAPD lied to a judge to get a warrant to raid us. Uh. And then they did so. And I got arrested. And it was hella traumatic. Oh my God. <laughs> like I didn't end up doing jail time, but like, for example, my bail was set at a million dollars. What? It was set at a million dollars. Like I could have been like a, like a rapist and had lower bail. Right. And it was just this like illustration of like, this is how fucked the system is that I am getting arrested by police that have lied to a judge uh-huh. and have set my bail at this absurd number for what? Selling weed to sick people uh-huh. so that they can feel better? Like, this is absurd. Um, and, and so, you know, like, I was... Wait, wait, wait. Don't fast forward through the story so much. <laughs> Go back. Give me the details. <laughs> So what happened? You were there with your other owners? I was there and like, I don't think anybody understood like how this was unraveling because it was unraveling really quickly. And basically like, I mean, they more or less like pointed the finger at me when they were like, well, who's in charge? (gasps) Oh, I was like the last person left. So... I get arrested. I'm like watching in real life, real time, although feeling totally surreal as I'm like, well, what are you arresting me for? Like, what are the charges? And like, they can't answer Mm -hmm. because it's, I'm not doing anything illegal under their jurisdiction. Right. And, and so like, I'm just watching like how broken the system is like playing out. 
So they arrest you and only you, and then they detain you? Mm-hmm. So I sat in like a holding cell initially with like all these other people that had been arrested by LAPD, including like, you know, there's people on drugs who are just like losing it and like having an out of body. There was one little old grandma who was probably in her 70s sitting next to me in this jail cell. I have no idea what the hell she was arrested for. But like, I remember like sitting there and holding this old lady's hand in jail and like she didn't even speak English. And I was just like, this is so fucked up. Like, why is this old lady in jail? Why are all these people who are on drugs who clearly need treatment like in jail? Why am I in jail? Like, <laughs> this is fucked up. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> so how did you get out? So I posted bail and I was released. And then the next morning when I woke up, they had seized all of our assets. So they had, in the raid, they had taken all of the cannabis in our dispensary and all of the cash in our dispensary. When I woke up the next morning, they had taken all the money in our business bank accounts and my personal bank account. Oh my God. As well as like the bank account, the personal bank accounts of like my business partners. (gasps) So they like sweeped everything. What? Yeah. I can't believe I never told you this story. (laughs) I'm in shock. (laughs) Oh my God. So, so yeah, so they like seized all of our assets and then like I had my court date and I show up in court with my attorney and like he calls LAPD out on it. And the judge is super pissed because she's like, you guys lied to me. Like, you need to return everything. Oh. And, they re- and they refused to. LAPD refused to return anything. And they threatened to hand it over to the DEA. And so I had this choice at like, I think by then I was like maybe 23 of, do I pursue this? Or do I like cut my losses and walk away from it? And so at that point, I decided to cut my losses and walk away from it. Damn. Because it was just like, for what, you know? Yeah, you never know like, where that threat will take you. Yeah, and like I, like it shook my, like I was already questioning and dubious about the criminal justice system about, you know, so much of like the institutions that no longer serve in our world. And it was just such a clear illustration of like, this is how bad it is. Like if I had been a black man, I would probably still be in jail right now, or I might be dead, who knows, you know? And so like, it really made me question like what am I complicit in and what am I willing to do and what am I not willing to do like and how do I want to live my life in a way that's 
like in alignment with my values and like supporting what I want to support and not causing harm. Oh my God. I can't believe, hold on. So the judge was the same judge that they had lied to that was on the case. That was that a coincidence or was it no. supposed to be that way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you yeah. know what they said in order to get a warrant? I don't a remember. legal activity. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they probably made up some bullshit like we were selling to people without medical cards or like moving cannabis out the back door, whatever. How much money do you think they took total with all of your guys' accounts plus the inventory? Because that was their payday. I'm sure they're, they just sat on that. I don't know. More than I want to think about. <laughs> oh my God. Like, it, was, it was not an insignificant amount. Right. Like by my standards then or my standards now. Um, but I also know that, you know, at that time, like LAPD would raid dispensaries and then they would resell. Of course. The stuff that they seized. They do the same thing with guns today. Yeah. So. Wow. Oh my God. You're <laughs> so young. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Dang. And your business partners, it just, you guys went separate ways after that, I'm assuming. So one of them, um, I'm still friends with one of them. And after that, that was the first business we worked on together. But I've actually worked with him on one, two, three, like on three or four projects since then. And I'm oh, actually okay. gearing up to work with him again right now. Okay. Like I'm going to do some content work for the project that he's currently working with. Um, but like we went through like some deep dark shit. I mean, he's probably like the person I've been through the most with that I'm not related to by blood mm. or like in romantic relationship with. Mm -hmm. Because like we like we've been to hell and back together and like have like rebuilt our relationship like post all of that crazy shit going down. And actually part of this part of this story just came to closure in the last couple of weeks because when we got raided, one of our bank accounts was set aside to pay taxes and LAPD seized our tax money. And mm -hmm. so we didn't have any money to pay our taxes. And mm -hmm. so I've had like a California board of equalization, whatever state franchise tax board tax bill floating after me for like the last 14, 15 years. Uh -huh. and, <laughs> and, um, my business partner from back in the day that I'm still in relationship with and still work with, like just paid it off. So that was like huge closure for both mm, of us. Yeah. Wow. So you forgave them for pointing the finger on you. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't think anybody could fully understand like what was going on at the time, mm -hmm. you know, like, and I think about like, talk about being young and dumb yeah like like we were all like 22 23 years old like uh-huh i look at people that age now and i'm like you are a child uh-huh like <laughs> totally wow so that's also part of what put me i think on the healing path uh-huh because you're just like what the fuck 
yeah, like what is even real anymore? Like, what can I do that's not gonna like make my stomach turn mm. and just like trigger this like deep distrust that I had of like society at large and like being in the world? Mm-hmm. Do you find that in Hawaii that it's easier to live a little bit more detached from that society? Yeah, I think it's a different situation here. Like, I think that when you look at what's going on in the rest of the United States, especially on like the social justice and police brutality front, um, you know, there's abuse of power everywhere. So I don't want to make it sound like Hawaii is perfect. But I also don't see in my community or read in the local newspapers about like police targeting and beating brown people or black people. It's different for me here because like I have a cousin who's a policeman, Jason's co-worker's brother is a policeman, like the police are part of the community here more so than in other places just because it's a smaller community. So I don't feel, I don't know, I don't feel like they're not as anonymous. It goes back to that community piece of accountability where like if people know who you are and know where you stand in this web of relationships and interconnectedness, then like you're going to behave better. Totally. It's like being watched, being on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, they have cameras everywhere. Yeah, it's a little less creepy in Big Brother, though, because it's like more democratic. It's not like the man is watching you. It's like, well, we're all watching because we're here and we're here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's one of the best things about living in a smaller community in terms of amount of people. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who each other is. I know where you live. Yep. I know your kids are. Yep. What's going on with Mauna Kea right now and the telescope? <laughs> so it's a really interesting thing because I think there's a lot of nuance to it. And like to me, what's at the heart of it is like people wanting the telescope folks to be in right relationship with the community and with the land and to take responsibility and accountability, which means like being in relationship and also like giving back to the community because a lot of the astronomy program um, has been kind of extractive in a way, you know, where like, what, what is this astronomy program doing to like support the Big Island community or to provide opportunities to the kids who grow up here or to give back to like the land and the mountain. Um, And so I don't think it's necessarily, I think sometimes it gets, and some people may disagree, so this is just my personal opinion about it. I think sometimes it gets simplified to like, we just don't want another building on the mountain but i think it's like it goes deeper than that because there's already a bunch of buildings 
on the mountain and it could be like it could be seen as like well not one more but then the other piece of it is just like how it's being done you know and so there's actually been some interesting movement on it recently so scott psyche who's in the state legislature in hawaii recently um, made a statement like a public statement in the legislative chambers um, where he called out University of Hawaii for mismanaging the Mauna and for not doing a good job as like a steward or a caretaker of like the land and like holding the lease in a good way. And that's created a lot of, it, that was a catalyst for a lot of movement with like pushback from the university, like telling him to take it back. But it's also created an opening for the Kia'i to engage with him because this is the first time that like somebody who's like kind of of the establishment is acknowledging that there's been mismanagement on the mountain and like that things can and should be done a different way. So I think that like that's kind of an amazing thing because it's opening conversation and like creates the possibility to come to an agreement or some kind of collaboration or path forward where, you know, we get to like be in right relationship and for the community and the land to be honored, but we also get to do science and to do astronomy because I don't think like, it's not part of the Hawaiian culture to be anti-knowledge or anti-learning or anti-exploration like all of those things are deeply part of the culture. It's just that it needs to be done in the right way. Respectfully. Mm -hmm. What are some Hawaiian concepts or words or philosophies that you really like that resonate with you? I think one that's been, been coming up a lot is Pono. Um, and Pono can be translated as righteousness, but it's really about like being in right relationship. It's like, are you doing right by yourself, by the land, by your neighbor, by your community? Like is what you're doing on the up and up. Um, and I think like, you know, it's important from the micro to the macro, like how we're showing up in our families and our communities. And then like, and larger like in the world like is the work that we're doing pono like are we contributing to something that's going to be uplifting and sustainable or is it something that's just like making money for the sake of money but you're not actually adding value <laughs> to the world or to people's lives um and then also connected to that is the word kuleana which is usually translated as responsibility, but it's also kind of like, what's your role in life or in your community? Like, what are you responsible for? Like, what are you bringing to the table? Like, what's your gift that's um, of value? Beautiful. There are a lot of similarities to Hinduism. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of these concepts exist throughout. Um, throughout a lot of cultures because they're human values. They're like basic ways of like being human and being in relationship. And community. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, capitalism is just a really short experiment in yeah. the grand scheme of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Are there any organizations that exist in Hawaii that people can tune into to learn more about what's going on? Gosh, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, so much of it, so much of my exposure to it has been community-based. It's yeah. just like talking story with people. <laughs> right, right. Your neighbor. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just like talking story with people and like hearing what's going on and like seeing what's happening on the mountain or like in Waimea because Waimea is the closest town to Mauna Kea. Um, like basically to get up to the mountain, like you drive through Waimea. Um, but I can totally do a little bit of digging and like maybe share some resources on the back end with you. Yeah, please. I tried to do a little research myself the other day and mm -hmm. I, I don't know what information's coming from who. Yeah, right. Well, and cause a lot of it is like, like it's all happening organically and a lot of it is like not underground, but it is like on an individual basis and like a person to person basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. Okay. What do you look forward to for the rest of the year? Oh, for the rest of the year. Hmm. I have to think for a moment. I'm really looking forward. You take your time. That wasn't the last question, by the way. I just thought of one more. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I had all this pressure because I was like, dang, it's the last question. No, I no, no. Good answer. <laughs> uh. I think I'm looking forward to like living life slowly. Like I, so I haven't been working for the last month and a half and it's been epic because I've been like grinding for a long time now. And so to have spaciousness is such a gift. And so like, as I reboot my work life, like really continuing to cultivate the slowness in my life and the spaciousness, like, I mean, I've read so many like cheesy articles and stupid memes about like giving yourself an hour in the morning for like self-care or personal practice, but like, shit, it's so important. Like it's life-changing to get on the mat, even if it's for like half an hour or to yeah. dance to like three songs or to walk for 20 minutes. Like it's just like super basic stuff that makes like life worth living, you know? Cause to wake up and like start checking emails on my phone at 6 a.m. fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't wish that on anybody. And so why am I doing it myself? So like really continuing to honor that and to like create from a place of balance um, and to see what comes of it. Cause I can already feel like the magic in it. Um, of having, of just like attracting more and better and um, enjoying it rather than like constantly feeling pressure or stress or like that agitation of like having to do, do, do. Having my, my mornings. <laughs> I'm yeah. looking forward to that. <laughs> sure everyone listening can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially in like this time where like the boundaries between personal and work are blurred because so many people are working remotely and from home and 
like when you're sleeping in your bedroom and checking emails in your bedroom and like taking phone calls in your bedroom, like it's hard Mm -hmm. to create boundaries. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a younger generation? Hmm. I would say I would encourage them to follow their bliss because as a child or as a young person, um, like there's no children that dream of like crushing other people to achieve their own dominance or, you know, like, like, like kids don't dream about stuff like that. You know, they let me be an asshole when I grow up. (laughs) Yeah. Like, let me be a dictator. Like, no, like kids dream about like, like Joe Tan's like, like he, like he wants to like make like an invisibility cloak. And then I told him that somebody already did that. And he was like, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was his response. (laughs) He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, let's look it up on Google. But, (laughs) but I just think that like, you know, young people, like if we don't like crush their spirits and their dreams, like have so much innate energy and creativity and life in them and to like encourage that because we're now at a point where like that's really what's of value like in the next generation like let's face it there's probably going to be ai and robots doing like most of the shit that we do now and so like what's actually of value is like human creativity and connection and that's like the one thing that our outdated school system like sucks at cultivating in young people because they're still training them to be factory workers from the industrial revolution. But that's stupid because the factories are, are run by machines already and they're going to be even more so in the future. So like, I think like teaching kids how to relate and be themselves at the same time is like so valuable. Yeah, that's a big one. Empathy while mm-hmm. still train, staying true to oneself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at heart, like most kids are naturally empathetic. Like again, like nobody's born an asshole, right? Like mm-hmm. babies naturally want connection. Like kids are naturally curious. I love it. Thanks, Diana. Yay. Thanks, Chloe. It's just some random crap that's been rattling around in my brain. I like what's in there. I love your perspective. I love the way you live your life. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I'm so glad we got to connect and catch up. It was super fun. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, let me know when you're coming out to the Big Island. Will do. Come spend some time with us. Yeah, for sure. I have to meet the new addition. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Rara. They're both so funny. (laughs) crazy you'll stay in our house and you'll either be like yeah I really want kids or like hell no (laughs) oh my god two boys too the energy I can only imagine yeah I mean my my house is cleaned up right now but half the time there's a futon in the middle of my living room floor because my kids jump off the couch Uh onto the futon (laughs) Like, it's wild. (laughs) So much energy. Like, sometimes I just sit there and I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I'm going to go pretend to take a shit so I can hide in the bathroom. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I'd just be there wearing earplugs. <laughs> oh, but then they'd rip them off your head and take them. <laughs> You're not listening to me. <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you again. Thanks, Chloe. Have a good day. Aloha. Aloha.